Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody. This is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 42. Titled, Dear Anisha, Turning Trauma into Triumph. So, I interviewed for the second time on this podcast... Sabrina Young. Now, for a lot of y'all that's been listening, she's been co-hosting with me on TTI Survivor Interviews, has been doing a phenomenal job, and is a big help to this podcast. And for a lot of y'all, some of y'all might know, know from the first interview I did with her and everything that she wrote a book, or she was working on writing a book. Well, that book's already been published, and it's out there for everybody to buy and to read. And we wanted to do this interview to promote that to talk about a few issues with the TTI talk about other aspects of it as well and it was just an all around good interview to to have for those who are actually taking deep dives into the TTI there's going to be more stories out there there's more than just the Bethel boys and Bethel girls on this podcast I've had other TTI survivors on here as well it's a very uh, deep long rabbit hole it's not a conspiracy theory rabbit hole it is based in actual truth it's based in actual facts unfortunately um and it runs deep politically it runs deep religiously and it will just blow your mind and it's there's more than just religious programs in the TTI but for down here in the south uh there's a lot of religious based programs that are involved in that as well I mean of course there's wilderness uh, like wilderness survival camps there's uh, drug rehab camps and and schools institutions Uh, there's behavioral modification places as well I mean there's just a bunch of different kinds and so Sabrina is a very loud advocate in that world of trauma because she suffered through it for a long time as a child among other things that she suffered through. And she doesn't want to see another child go to one of these places and suffer and come out worse than what they already did. These people are not equipped, for them. What, I'm t- what I can gather and tell, they're just not equipped to deal with children with trauma. In fact, they tell children not to talk about their traumas. It's not, that's not healthy, y'all. It's not healthy whatsoever. I... You know, got flung into this world. I never knew anything about it. A lot of us don't. A lot of good people do not know about the TTI. Because that's how they operate. They operate just underneath the water like a submarine. It's there, but you can't see it. And that's how they like it. You can, t- you, I mean, you know there's a submarine there, but you don't know where it's at. And... A lot of people have the good intentions of, of donating to these, t- like especially the church-based programs 
that, oh, they're doing good work. They're doing work for the Lord. And in all reality, they weren't. And I know Christians are going to say, well, that's not real Christians. I've heard that a bunch of times, y'all. At the same time, they're perpetrating the Christ that you serve. For any of you that are Christians that are listening. They're the ones claiming to the world that they're Christians. And they're the ones who are going out there and saying they're doing the Lord's work when in fact they're harming and torturing and sexually abusing children. That's what they're doing, y'all. They're mentally, verbally, physically, and sexually hurting children in these programs. And there are thousands upon thousands of survivors who are finally having the strength to speak up because good people are willing to listen to them and believe them. Why has it gone on for this long? Because when they tried to say something, nobody would believe them. I believe you, survivor. I see you, survivor. And I love you. For anybody that's a survivor of the TTI, I believe you. Because I know the stories well enough to know that there is a pattern amongst these places. And I've always made, I've always asked the question, how is it, you know, is it more plausible and believable that there's a system in place that's designed to take people's money and to not do the job that they said that they were going to do? Or is it more plausible that thousands upon thousands of people from all different walks and corners of life who've never met each other somehow got together and conspired and say, yep, these places is bad, or this place is bad, or this place is bad, or all these places around here are bad. These weren't just bad kids who didn't want to adhere to discipline. These were kids who needed actual therapy and guidance and healing. Some were just good kids that thought they were going to go to a place to make them better. Some were kids who really needed actual help and did bad things and did my mind did some really bad things, but needed actual real counseling and real world type of help. They never received it. Some of these kids got boots to their backs, kicked to the stomach, beaten in the face. I mean, dogs sicked on them. You know, waterboarded, just and the list goes on. I'm not. I, I don't even want to trigger anybody else. I mean, it, it, it's heinous. It's absolutely heinous. And I'm so thankful though that I got to know a good handful of these survivors so far. You know, and I, that they trust me with with their story to be put on my platform. Because this is trauma. This is this is real world trauma. This is something that they had to that they experienced and they're they're trying to face their past and let the world know their story so they can move on and heal. That's what a lot of these people that, that I've interviewed are doing. They're trying to heal. Broken people in a broken world. And they don't want to see any more broken babies growing up. I know I don't either. But man, I I can't say enough good things about Sabrina. You know, she is just a good friend. She is a, a loud advocate, for sure. And just an amazing person. And I'm honored to know her. I'm honored that she grabbed my hand and flung me in this world of the TTI, the troubled teen industry. And just has always been a big support and a big help to this podcast. And just as a friend. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Sabrina Young. Talking about her book, Dear Anisha, Turning Trauma into Triumph. Thank you. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. And this is going to be my interview with Sabrina Young. She's not going to be co-hosting today. She's going to be getting interviewed for not the first time, but the second time on this podcast. And... We're going to talk about a lot of different topics and subjects on here, but the first one we want to talk about, of course, is congratulating Sabrina on getting her book published. So, Sabrina, you want to tell me about your book? So, my book is titled Dear Renisha, Turning Trauma into Triumph. Um, It's available on Amazon.com. It's also available in hardback, 
paperback and on ebook on the Kindle. I actually had uh, Miss Susie Spencer, who did a podcast with me from the uh, Rebecca Home miniseries with David Keck, helped me edit this book. So that was great having her help me because she, you know, she experienced the trouble teen industry. So she knew a lot about the program already. So that was great. But I really want to talk about what's going on now. You know, you know, you guys have heard my story. Uh, My book is available online for you guys to purchase. If you want to know anything else, Um, I highly recommend it to parents because there's a lot of alternative resources that I have provided in the book from the unsilenced website. And I'm just going to kind of talk over about some of the victims of the troubled teen industry who have died while they were still in their program. So this has been going on since the fifties. Like this has been going on for decades and survivors have been asking for legislation and reform for decades. Um, It's more gone public now in the past three years with the help of Paris Hilton and Alan Knoll and Unsilence and Caroline Cole and with social media, but it's still not really out there for all the general public. They don't know about these things and and, and teens are dying and you'll see it on the local news in the state, but it should be national television, but it's not. Um, And what we're finding is a lot of these places, these kids are dying mainly from medical neglect, but then they never get charged with it. Um, they're finding loopholes and I'm quite frankly, sick and tired of it. Um, yeah, it's 2023 parents, um, before you send your child away, it is your job and responsibility to Google these places. And we've done the hard work for you. We have archives, thousands, over a hundred thousand archive programs are on the unsilence.org website that you can look through and type in search the name of the program that you're thinking about sending your kid to, and it'll pop up any reports that we have information on. Um, Also, heal.org is another organization that does a similar thing, and it provides you with uh, information on any reports of allegations of abuse, sexual abuse, um, mistreatment um, in the program that you're wanting to send your child away to. Um, so let's go over some of the victims, um, in the trouble team industry. So I'm going to go with like the newest first. Yeah. And, um, that was Miss Taylor Goodridge. She was 17 years old and she attended Diamond Ranch Academy and passed away from medical neglect on December 20th of 2022. Um, there was a couple unidentified females, two of them at Oak Plains Academy from a Benadryl overdose, um, 15 years old, both of them. Um, there's, uh, there's just so many, there's over 301 children that I list their, you know, where they were at, how they passed away. Some of them are identified and some of them are not. Um, but it's just ridiculous. I remember in 2020, it was all over the news about Frederick, um, or Cornelius Fredericks. Um, he attended a program and threw a peanut butter sandwich and they restrained him and he yeah. wind up passing away. He went to um, Lakeside Academy. He was 16 years old. He died from an 11 minute restraint for throwing a sandwich. Naomi Wood was 17 years old. Uh, May 19th of 2020 Lakeland Girls Academy. She died from a seizure following weeks of medical neglect. They gave her soup and prayed for her. Taylor Goodridge, they told her to suck it up. They said she had um, sepsis and her stomach was extended out from the sepsis. Um, I need parents to understand. However, whatever is going on with your child at home, um, there are community-based alternative resources for you instead of sending them away to a program. Because two things right now, if you send your child to a trouble teen program, in America, two things are going to happen. They're either going to come back more traumatized than going in, or they're going to come home in a body bag. Um, and until we get legislation reform, I just want parents to get online, do their research, ask questions, ask the right questions. Um, because these places, all they do is they're salesmen. They're really good salesmen, and they pitch you bullshit. Um, you can go online, you'll see um, pictures all the time in their brochures online, like they have 
horses and they have pools. And then when you actually get to the facility, ask where the horses are asked at. Ask yeah. to see where the pool is at. Ask to walk through the facility. You don't just take their word. There's so many, you know, survivors. I've heard their stories where their parents didn't even walk in the door. They didn't even go take a look first. There was nothing. Pop up. If your kid's in a program, and I don't care if they say you can have no contact in 30 days, go pop up. Your kid's crying on the phone. They're probably telling you the truth about, most likely, they're telling you the truth about it. Hey, even yeah. if, you know, even if they're not, even I mean, if they're even, not. Even, even if they're still a cry for help and needs to be looked at. Yeah. One, um, another thing, too, that, that uh, I, I don't know if you're about to cover or not, is that they also got people who are shutting down these places as well. Like just recently, uh, Agape ranch out there in Stockton, Missouri just got shut down because of the years. And, of and they're rebranding it already. Wow. Rebranding it already. Literally no more than like a week later, they already had plans to rebrand it and rename it Stone Hope Academy for Boys. And it's the same principle from Agape. So all they do is just rebrand it so that and rename it so that way they say, well, there's no allegations of abuse in this program. It's new. But it's the same staff doing the same shit. It's the same shit, different toilet. Yeah. It, it so, just repeats the cycle over and over again. It's exhausting. Well, I wanted to go back to the beginning of, of what you were talking about too. Um so I know so I know why you named your book Dear Anisha, mm -hmm. but can you tell the audience why you named it and everything like that? So my book is titled Dear Renisha um, because that's actually what my mother named me. Um, when I was adopted at three months old, my adoptive parents um, changed my name to Sabrina. Um, but my biological mother named me after my older sister, Renisha, who died um, when she was seven years old. She was walking across the street to get ice cream from an ice cream truck and got struck by a car and passed away. So when I asked my mother, my biological mother, what my name was at birth, because I knew I had been adopted at three months old and Sabrina wasn't my name. And she said, I named you Renisha Renee because I missed your sister so much. I said, but then you gave me away for adoption. <laughs> like, yeah. That makes no sense. So, but yeah, it's kind of like a journal writing, writing to her about what I had went through and meeting, um, my biological mother and their, that side of the family and finding my biological father and his side of the family. So it just kind of ties all in. And it took me about four years to write this book. And it's not even everything, <laughs> which is the crazy part. If I had put everything in, it probably would have been a huge novel. <laughs> yeah. Maybe an epic piece, right? Yes. Series. There, there is some there are some crazy ass stories that I know I've learned from you and from the podcast interviews that we've all done and from the places you've been at. I mean, you know, the last couple of episodes we've done together has been about the Bethel Academy and everything that you were at as well. Uh, you know, the boys and girls side of it and everything. Um, but you were also at the Lester Roloff uh, Rebecca Home for Girls. You were at remember the other the one in Florida that you talked um, about. Sure. Um, Charity Haven. Charity, Charity Haven. And when they're like, a, you're like five of them. Yes. Yeah, so I was uh, at Ch Charity Haven in Milton, Florida. I was at Bethel um, in Mississippi. And then I went to Victory Acres in North Carolina. And then I went to back to Charity Haven. And then I went to the Rebecca Home for Girls and it rebranded to New Beginnings Girls Academy. And then I went to Reclamation Ranch Rachel Girls Academy. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in five different programs for six years. So I take what, this, you know, what's going on in this industry personal. It took yeah. me, it stole six years of my life. Can you tell me what the worst one was that you read? I don't know if we ever remember covering the that worst, or not, The worst program would have been um, New Beginnings Girls Academy, the Rebecca Home for Girls, would be number one. Number two, Bethel. And then Charity Haven, or then Charity Haven, Victory yeah. Acres, and then Reclamation Ranch. So, Damn. yeah. So, New um, Beginnings was pretty bad. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the I heard the interviews, and if anybody that's listening hasn't, you know, it's on David Keck's Survivor and Abuse podcast. Go look up the uh, the Rebecca Home for Girls. There's like five different interviews, and each one of these. Uh, women have been at that at that place at different times at different time pieces in life as well so you got people that was there in the 60s 70s 80s 90s uh, i think 
you were there, what, in the late, in the, not, late 90s? Um, early 2000s. Early 2000s. I mean, it, it, it spans different, multiple decades for sure. Uh, Bethel also spanned at least, what, three or four decades, I want to say? 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. And and the uh, fun fact, too, that y'all don't, y'all don't know is that uh, Herman Fountain was also a uh, somebody who worked with Lester Roloff, the guy who started the Rebecca Home for Girls and uh, other different TTI institutions. All the people that worked are owned and operated the programs I was in all worked for Lester Roloff. Yeah. It was a cult. It was def- most definitely a cult. Um, you can actually go online and order um, Lester Roloff's um, Family Altar magazine. He had his own magazine. He had his own broadcasting network, um, radio show, his own airplane. He, If you order the magazine, you can see his plans to expand the Rebecca Home for Girls. And it didn't get everything done. But they were wanting to put stores, shopping malls on this compound so that way you had no reason to ever leave. Um, he would yeah. go fishing and bring fish in and you live pretty much off the farm. You didn't leave unless, you know, they took you somewhere to like another church. You didn't leave. It was most definitely a cult. Um, and they're still trying to rebrand it and, and reopen it up. And someone's running that ministry. Um, we see that there's a podcast now. Someone's taking all of Lester Roloff's preaching tapes and uploading them to Spotify. Yes. What? Um, yes. I, I was doing some little recon research um, and I seen that. Yes. They started a, started a uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, good all they're God. doing is taking his old sermons and preaching tapes because nobody listens to it the way that they used to listen to it on a radio. So now they're uploading it to podcasts and to YouTube. Somebody's behind there. And then, also, they're redoing his books that he wrote and republishing them on Amazon because, you know, back in the 90s and that, you know, 70s, 80s, you know, Amazon didn't exist. And, you know, Lester Roloff died what in the 80s. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Somebody is idolizing the sucker and is, you know, or, 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 or mainly his... just or just profiting off of uh, his, yes. own, his own work yes. and everything. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but it's yeah, absolutely I mean... disgusting. Um, there's a long, huge legal battle with Lester Roloff for decades. There's a long, huge legal battle with Bethel for decades, and nothing really came about it other than the Rebecca Home for Girls did shut down, but they just took the girls and left. Like they didn't make the girls go back home. CPS never ensured that all the girls went back home to their families. They just took them and left. Um that's trafficking. That is benefits trafficking. Regardless whether they had these parents' permission or not, if you're not there as a parent, you don't know what's really going on. You've just legally trafficked your child. Um, yeah. And I don't think well, people realize that. Yeah, because I never did either. And uh, another point you were saying earlier, too, was that there's a lot of people that just didn't know. I mean, I'm one of them, you know. Uh, you and uh, John Ferry were really my first points of contact about the TTI off of TikTok. Of all places, you know, I, I, I never knew. And I'm glad that you, you know, you grabbed my hand and flung me into that world and everything like that so I can learn more and know more and everything. And just been very open and willing to tell your story to me. And just, you know make this friendship, you know, keep, you know, keep having this friendship with me and everything, because I, you know, good people just don't know about it. And I really believe in my heart that when good people do find out the heinous things that are going on in the troubled teen industry, they're going to be sickened by it. Like I was it, whether it's the same degree, if not greater or less, that's all up in the air, but it's still sickening, you know, oh, it just most definitely, it, 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 it any normal person, any any decent person with a soul and everything like that, or, or have any kind of morals or values, or any just, or just have any kind of goodness within them, would not want to see children harmed in any kind of way like that, and want them to get help. Um, and Congress is known about this, and I can prove it. I actually have an article popped up here on my iPad to read. Um, but Congress yeah. and them, it's all political. If you don't think that this is why nothing has been done, it's because there's senators, there's governors, there's policemen, hands in the pockets of the troubled teen industry. Um, yeah. Herman Fountain was paying off the local police and the judges. Um, he only served one year in jail for, for assaulting a police officer during the raid in 1988. His fall oh, wow. man, which was William Knott, wound up getting 20 years in prison, but not because of what he did to the boys at Bethel and the girls at Bethel, but because of something that he did in at another program that he wound up 
um, working for um, Restoration Youth or Saving Hope found I mean, it's changed. Yeah, Restoration, some, yeah, some, Re Restoration so Youth times. was up in uh, Pritchard, Alabama. Yeah. So um, he, only, he got 20 years for that. But he was abusing children for over 20 years. And he never got anything for, you know, what he did to the boys at Bethel. Had they known all that, I mean, it probably would have been longer. Um, there was no accountability except for, for that. It's just ridiculous. Um, well, hell, I actually want to go in a little bit more on William Knott and everything, too. Uh, what If, if y'all haven't heard the other interviews we've had and everything, like with Rittany, uh, Rittany Rainbow and everything, she her first day there, William Knott put his boot prints, like bruises, into her back and her body and everything like that and beat the, just the dog shit out of her. A 14-year-old girl at the time because she refused to go and exercise. Like, yeah. The responses he had were very brutal and sadistic. I mean, they had, I've heard of this, I've heard of people having dogs sicked on them. Uh, you know, they almost like Being gladiator drowned. style fights. Yeah. Drowned, uh, resuscitated, waterboarded, uh, just all kind of heinous things toward young, you know, young kids or, you know, young teenagers. Boys, he would grab the boys' private parts and pull on them and yank them. And he oh my disgusting. God. He was disgusting. He would yeah. have the boys do other things to boys. It was it was gross. Like this man does not prison isn't even prison's not justice. Like I know I should be grateful and we should be grateful that he's in prison, but yeah. like he needs a bullet. <laughs> like he don't need yeah. like, he don't need like he's gonna get out. He's gonna do the same thing. He's gonna get yeah. out and do the same thing. Um, he's a child predator, just in a different genre. Well, now. Well, now that he's got child abuse charges on him and everything like that, I don't think prison's going to be the same for him for the next 20 something years. I, I, I remember the story and I remember. So they had a, a news reporter out there in Pritchard who actually covered the story with him and Bishop Young. And there was another worker there. They got they got arrested as well. I think it was a lady, if I'm not mistaken. And then they interviewed the parishioners from the church, the people that attended the church and everything. And it was one lady was talking about, these are just bad kids. These are kids who just don't want to listen. They want to smoke weed. They want to, you know, stay up late at night, be on social media, not listen to mamas and daddies and everything. Then they go when, when they can't get what they want. They want to sit there and make up all these lies and accusations and everything. And, and I'm like, to a normal part, to a person that doesn't know anything about these stories, it can be convincing, right? Like to just, you know, I'm, I'm just being upfront and honest. It could, I mean, it could have convinced me. However, being that I've listened to these stories that I've talked with a lot of y'all that I've, you know, spent time with y'all and got to know y'all stories. Um, you can see through the lies and the bullshit at that point. It's just manipulation. They're trying to keep their little cash cow that they're going in my honest opinion. And they're, and unfortunately they're profiting off of the pain and trauma of other children and just really honestly, just torture. To me, it just seems like legalized torture is what they're Most doing definitely. to these kids. Especially um, in like the behavior modification treatment facilities where they actually bill the parents' insurance. It's fraud. It is insurance fraud. They will yeah. keep those girls there longer than they need to be or boys and say that more stuff is wrong with them or that they're not changing just so they can reap off of the benefit. And they try to hold them there until they're 18. Like it's disgusting. So yeah. and, and a lot of taxpayers' dollars go to this. Love donations from churches where people are thinking that they're helping these poor children in these homes and it's going to pay for them to have a great life. No, you're just filling their pockets while we're being abused. I remember eating food that was stale from a freaking food bank because Bubba Fountain spent all his money on a new red truck and a ring for his wife. Like, you know what I mean? Like we were eating yeah. food from a food bank that was expired. Um, and then they were raking in, I think it was estimated $88 million, $88 million. Huh. Was that and per year for, or total or, or total for the total, 30 years? That's total for the 30 years, 30, $88, million, was $88 million. Yes. I mean, good God, that's at least uh, what an average of 3 million a year. And you, can or, look or up around these, you can look up these places online and look up their tax information what they paid and the revenue and all that stuff you can look all that information up um, yeah it, it's disgusting <laughs> yeah because uh loosedale mississippi do doesn't have a high income uh median over there and everything so for them to make an average of, of almost three million a year and someone is very bringing sus. that kind of yeah it, 
money into that town, you know he was lining the pockets of judges and politicians. I mean, uh, President George W. Bush and Lester Roloff were neck and neck, you know, and uh, uh, he yeah. and Rebecca Home for Girls sing for him, for the GOP. Uh, it, it's crazy. Like, it's so political. It's like a whole rabbit hole. I sound like a conspiracy theorist when I talk about it, but it's all 100% true. And, and look, I'll tell anybody that's listening for the first time about this, it, about the, the trouble teen industry. It does sound like that. You're right. You're absolutely right. Like it, like I had to, I had to take a step back for, you know, when I first heard about the stories and everything, I'm going, is this really real? Or is this, or is it, you know, or is this, you know, people with just a chip on their shoulder and everything. And then, and then I had other people that tell me the same thing. Like they had the same, because we've been so conditioned to believe the the lies of manipulation that, you know, all oh, these are just bad kids. No, what it is, is that they're, Look, I'm not going to disagree that there are children that need help and that they do heinous things. Okay, I don't think you disagree with that statement. I don't disagree with no. that statement. I, I, I think there are kids that are really troubled. They do heinous things. They need actual help. But the the reasons I heard people get sent off for, right, especially from back in the day as well. Um, there was one woman that I've interviewed on here, Miss Kina. She uh, she got sent to uh, to New Bethany out in uh, Arcadia, Louisiana, because um, she was a survivor of, you know, incest and um, she was pregnant from that incest. And so they shipped her away to make the problem go away. Being the problem, they didn't want to face the fact that they had family members who were, you know, I I hate to say it like this to anybody that, that I know might trigger somebody, but raping their own, you know, their own family members. And they didn't want to have to deal with those issues. This was back in the, in the late seventies. And she was a 14-year-old girl that was scared and pregnant, got sent somewhere where they just beat the shit out of her. And she don't know what happened to her baby because of all the trauma she's had. She's had, you know, suppressed memories. And those are just one out of many stories of of, of heinous stories I've heard. They, and they range from something heinous like that to kids who just talk back to their parents getting sent to these places. There was a girl that I talked to that she was sent to Bethel just for trying marijuana once. And she even told her mom like hey i tried weed but don't worry mom i didn't like it and she had two jobs and was making good grades was even paying her mom to live in her house like and drove herself to battle because her mom lied to her and said she was picking helping her uncle pick up cars and they left her there like ridiculous shit like i was sent there because one my aunt and my cousins thought i was annoying and i was 11 and then my adopted mother um, didn't want to recognize what had gone on with me by being molested and taking me to get counseling and was to hide the abuse that was going on in the home. You know, there's yeah. 10, 11. I mean, when you sit there and you think about 10 and 11 year old being mixed in with 16, 17, I mean, we had gang members. I mean, the first girl that showed up to Bethel after I did, because I was one of the first girls to arrive was a girl named Amy and she was from Huntington Beach, California. And she, you know, grew up in the streets and she used me as her personal punching bag, you know, yeah. and they wouldn't do anything about it. No, they, they just feed everybody to the wolves. Oh yeah. And, and you know, make you stronger or some bullshit in, in their mind and everything. And they didn't care. I mean, they knew about it. They knew that that kind of abuse held there. I mean, these people that were staff were part of that abuse. I mean, it, these, you know, these interviews have definitely shaken up. Uh, staff, former staff members as well. I know that personally, I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but I know that there have been staff members who have reached out. I know there's staff there listening now. Yes. They are, you know, and, and I don't know, like, I don't know of any, I only know one that you, you, you would give some mercy, grace, and compassion because that person was a former, you know, uh, you know, former student there. Right. I say that loosely, uh, that got groomed into a, into a situation where she ended up marrying one of the other, uh, one of the sons over there and everything like that. But I mean, some of these people just were not licensed. Uh, they were not qualified. They were not trained in order to deal with childhood traumas, to deal with children that went through some heinous things or that had behavioral issues. These are just people they hired off the street that they can trust to keep their mouth shut. That's essentially what I what I gathered from a lot of these different stories too about staff as well. Uh, it, it just it baffles my mind that this has gone on since the '60s, and there's finally in 2020 a story. You know, Barbara Walters came out with that that interview, and it started you know waking people up. But even then, I mean, 
I, I went all my life without knowing about this. And till till I saw you on till I saw a random TikTok about it, you know. I, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just it's and, and then I you know, even down here, uh where I live at in Louisiana, I mean I I tell people about it. You know, so people people are now because I'm posting about it and I'm talking about it on this podcast. They're now learning about it as well, and I'm glad they're opening their eyes up. But I still talk to other people that don't even know what the hell the TTI stands for. They're like, "What's that? What kind of trauma yeah, is that?" It, I'm like, "Oh, the, the TTI is you know the trouble teen industry. It's a collective unit of what we call the trouble teen industry, and it's made up of boot camps, wilderness therapy, behavior modification schools, um, IFB Christian schools, Catholic schools that are dedicated to helping children uh, find a new way of life. It's pretty much, you know, what yeah. it is. I think a lot of people, like even my therapist, when I was telling her about it, she's like, what is the trouble teen industry? And I had to explain it to her and she's sitting there Googling. I said, just look up breaking code silence or unsilence.org. And it just popped up. And with all this, you know, stuff going on in the media, you know, Paris Hilton's came out. There's several people who've legislated and the news is covered. Like there's not enough noise and buzz. It's like, it's like those sad dog commercials that you keep seeing on the TV. And it's like, oh, well, it's not happening in my state or it's not happening to my kids or my dogs. I don't care. You know what I mean? It's like, oh. Yeah. Change the channel it, real quick, it, you know? It, yeah. yeah you're going to start crying. Change, yeah. So it's just ridiculous because nothing is being done nothing and we've made so much noise i just don't think we're being loud enough and right now my main focus is okay well while others are working on congress i'm going to try to reach the parents and if i can get one parent to change their mind you know like i have a teenage daughter myself and she had some mental issue uh, mental health issues going on um and she came to me one day and said mama you talk to somebody and i was like well do you want to talk to me and she's like no i want to talk to someone else but you yeah that hurt my pride and my feelings like you don't want to talk to me you know and then that kind of made me think well is it me that's the problem like you don't what why don't you want you know and it wasn't sometimes kids want to talk to a therapist they got issues and sometimes they're scared to talk to their parents about it because they don't know how you're going to react or respond so many parents take stuff offense to to their parenting styles but sometimes it is your parenting style that is what's contributing to the problem so like my daughter she had an issue with a boy and she wasn't loving herself and got super depressed because this little short shrimp of a boyfriend she was dating, who was literally the size of her brother. She was taller than him. I said, why are you letting some midget or short person <laughs> like, you know, treat you this yeah. way? Girl, kick him across the, uh, you know, the yard. Like, what the hell? Like, I- I've not taught you that. Like, you know, but it, I, you know, discover I didn't build up her self-esteem enough. I thought I had and I didn't. I said, we don't you know, get depressed over that kind of stuff. And we don't, you know, sit there and let somebody treat us that way and and get us so that bad that we feel like we have to sink into a deep, dark hole of depression, you know, so I had to build her up, you know, and that was my parenting mistake, you know, and I had to own up to that, that, you know, she didn't know how to love herself because that's what I was supposed to teach her. And I thought I had, but how am I doing that when I don't even know how to love myself, you know, our children watch us. And I think a lot of it is, family dynamics or dismiss and lazy parenting that parents just don't want to deal with it. I'm not saying that there aren't parents out there that deal with runaways and kids, but I'm just going to say this. Normally 99% of the time children do not run away from happy homes and almost every intervention um, episode that I have watched, which intervention is a show where someone who is, has an addiction and needs to go to yeah. rehab, you know, they're trying to save their life and you kind of get the backstory. It's always the root is what trauma, something yep. bad happened, a relative raped them or, you know, this, this happened or they were neglected as a child or divorce or, you know what I mean? The, yeah. it's, it's, it goes down to the parenting. So it's cycle, generational cycle breaking is what needs to go on. And then you can eradicate this, but you know, what do I know? I mean, I've only raised, you know, two kids and have a teenager that I did not have to send to the trouble teen industry. And some of the things that she was doing, I knew kids that went to the trouble teen industry for that. But I was like, no, I can deal with this at home. You don't need to be sent away. 
and she's making really good grades, was on the honor roll, is going to be going to college, um, is going to a school where she gets college credits while she's in high school, has been working since she was 14. So, I mean, I mean, I guess I kind of just learned from what they did wrong and was like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And if something's not working, change it. You can fix yeah, you can I, I mean, that. You can change that. You know, the, the thing with parenting and everything like that as well that I've, I've learned. From, now, I'm, I don't, I'm not a parent, so I can't, you know, sit here and armchair quarterback anybody. But I will say that I have a good analogy for parenting styles, right? Now, parenting, I believe, is like building a house. You, you know, you need different tools in order to build a home with. And if you only got one tool in your toolbox to work out of, you're not going to be, you know, you're going to build a pretty shitty house. And you need to know different techniques, different ways to deal with different situations as well in order to be able to be a more effective parent. You know, it, it's they've they've written manuals. They've had books. You know, people say there's no there's no book on parenting. There was actually a, um, a counselor on TikTok that said that's bullshit. They've been having books since the 30s. Yeah, there now, is you know, several, several books. But I say this. It's kind of like the Bible because um, a lot of people say, well, there is a book, the Bible. Um not all of it is going to be for you and you can't you can have the same set of rules but you can't when you have multiple children you can't raise them the same because they're two different children they're not even better erect yes Or, or, or or even better here uh you know we were born at a different time our children are born at a different time things change over time as well. So what might've been good for us in our generation, you know, and coming up in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands is not the same. That is going to come up into the 2020s and 2030s and 2040s when we're raising kids, you know, it's going to be a completely different way of life and way of think. I mean, hell, I didn't even realize until like I was 30 that they actually had a law in place where kids were under a certain weight. They had to be under a, in a car seat. The only reason I knew that was mm-hmm. because, I have like a nine-year-old niece that had to be in a car seat. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Why does this kid have to be in a car seat? I mean, I I remember. Limitation to that. I remember it being like four years old, riding in either the front or the back seat with my grandma. All all she made sure was, hey, do you, you know, I'm not leaving until you have your seatbelt on. Like she was adamant about that shit. Hell, I remember riding in my dad's Suzuki Jeep with no doors with no seatbelt on. Okay. Oh, fuck no. My grandma, my my grandma had a conniption fit on that shit. She was like, I'm not leaving. I'm not put backing out until you put on your seatbelt, Jeremy. I'm like, okay. I showed my kids what my baby car seat looked like in 1987. They were like, how did you not die? (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean things have changed so much and it's like i I mean i didn't know all these new laws because i didn't have kids so like for years i have you know i don't have any children so i didn't know all these new laws were coming in place but it's like things change over time so our parenting techniques need to change as well you know the whole um spanking your kids and everything like that that's a big contentious issue because now it used to be you know it used to be a majority of people felt like you know yeah spanking your children should be the right thing to do and now when you have psychologists and trauma experts coming out and realizing that this is traumatic for a child, it silences the child from being able to to have their own agency and their own voice. And not to mention other, other heinous things teaching, can happen to them. You're literally just teaching the child that when someone does something wrong, you put their hands on them to be in trouble. And then you yeah. wonder why you've got kids fighting and, and stuff. Like I had to deal with that with my own son. Um, yeah, because fights and stuff. And I was like, why the hell is he so fucking aggressive? And it was like, oh, yeah. it's because we whoop his ass. Well, you know what I mean? I was like, look, son, you can't hit. And he's like, well, y'all hit me when I get in trouble. I was like, ooh, shit. <laughs> you know gut what punch I mean? right there. Yeah. Gut and punch. Like, yeah. And all it did was make him more aggressive. I mean, my son, he already is one of those. As soon as you say something he don't want to hear from you or you're getting disrespectful, he's getting his lick back, you know, he's only 11 years old. And I'm like, Whoa, like son, you're heading down the wrong path. Like you keep doing this. They're going to, they're going to expel you. Like, you know, and then you'll get sent to a school that I can't have no control over because not only do parents send their kids away to these places, judges send these kids to these places because a lot of them get kickbacks for it. Um, I yeah, had, cat, was a cash judge, for kids. Yeah, there was a ju- there's several judges who, instead of sending men and women to prison for drugs, they would just send them to the Reclamation Ranch or to yeah. the re- or to uh, Lester Roloff's Jubilee, and I forget what his men's home. I, I think it was called Anchor. Um, there, 
there's a lot of places in Louisiana that are like that, like for adults, uh, for addiction and everything like that. And I've, I've talked to people that went to those places. and agree they should go somewhere that's not prison. Our jails are full of addicts. They're not going to get better when you're, I mean, drugs are still going into prison. Like if you think that you're not going to get high and get drunk in prison, it's good. Like it's, you can. <laughs> but, oh, um, oh, oh, I'll do one better for you on that. There's one that's not that was not far from uh, where I live at out here. There's actually multiple ones, but I remember talking to one guy who was from one out of Baker. No, not Baker, out of Holden, Louisiana. That's just about maybe 10 miles down the road from me. Um, there was one right there off of Highway 190, and they had a murder happen out of that one uh, a while back in the early 2000s and whatnot. I remember talking to somebody that went there. It was like, yeah, I mean, they just, you know, they, they just put them on, on like these little thin-ass mattresses on the floor. They, they all bunched up in this one little building and everything. They go do free labor for, for other people or like very, you know, like whatever that work release type wage labor is and everything mm-hmm. for other, for their friends and everything like that. I mean, basically just exploiting them for cheap labor, almost, you know, like I, I guess I dare to say slave labor to, to an extent. Um, and, and then they, they charge the insurance companies massive amount of like i mean i think they were getting like 20 or 30 grand a month from the insurance companies for each one of these guys that were there and they were all just drug addicts and everything and they would have them come from different states too it wasn't just locally out here in louisiana it was everywhere they found out that the guy was uh was a convicted felon for fraud and everything too when that murder happened and um I mean, this guy was also feeding their addictions too, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken on that one. I don't know if it was this place or the one in Baker, but they, they, you know, some of these places would have uh, drugs, you know, being sold to them, so they can keep these guys here longer and say, oh, well, you know, they're they're not doing any better. We, we we're gonna work on some other things, and we're gonna try to keep, you know, keep them here a little bit longer and stuff, so they can keep making that money off of them. You know, you lose a grand in order to make thirty grand that month. I mean, that was their their way of thinking, I suppose. Um, you know, feed them bare minimum uh housing bare minimum you know just it just and there was no real counseling it was just them sitting in a circle together talking about you know how drugs are bad okay and that's it yeah and just yeah i mean so i mean those places exist for adults too and and i think that's you know a lot of people who are adults know men and women get um you know used and extorted for labor for free i mean you had guys who were welders electricians carpenters plumbers and they fell into drugs and addiction and now they're being exploited and they're telling them oh you're doing free charity work when now it was exploiting oh these men my my boys come help i I watch that all the time happen it's disgusting um and and they think and they're feeding into the bullshit and thinking that they're becoming men of god and stuff you know it was ridiculous it was just absolutely ridiculous yeah i mean hell there were stories i think with uh john and them you know, from the Bethel boys, they, uh, they had to go pave a, uh, like asphalt or pave out a, oh, yeah. a driveway over there they and they had to go stamp it out themselves. The, they pretty much built everything on the property. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, they would cut whatever corners they could. I mean, those, those instead of having a roller, a steamroller out there paving that road and everything, they were just stamping their feet onto the ground and everything like that to flatten it out. I mean, yeah. it was just like, what the fuck? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just so many different abuses that come out of these places and everything like that. And then, of course, you have all these deaths that we were just talking about earlier, too, in the beginning of the episode. I mean, Taylor Goodridge, you know, that's the most recent one I know of for certain. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it shocked a lot of people. Um, it really did get a lot of traction with that story because um, I started seeing regular people that have never communicated with me about the TTI or anything like that or know anything about my podcast. They started sharing that story. And I was like, holy shit, you know, is it, is this finally, you know, is it finally happening? Are people really waking the fuck up? And it gave me a little bit of hope and everything for a moment. And, um, some people are woke up. I'm not going to say that everybody's awake to it and everybody knows the problem that exists because they just don't. But I mean, now there's more and more interviews coming out. There's more different podcasts who are taking up on this cause and, there's stories more organizations we've got yeah violence we wore the we warned them the trouble teen advocacy group um there's so many different organizations out there heal.org um that are willing to give you information 
um, to help. If you're, you've got a kid in a program right now and you're like, well, shit, I don't know if they're abusing my kid. Um, get a hold of Meg Applegate from Unsilence. Um, get a hold of me on TikTok or on Facebook, Sabrina Young. Um, and I can help you find out if this stuff is going on or just, you know, better if I had a kid in the program, I'd just go up there. Now I'm going to see my kid. I want to know. Yeah. And I want to see what's going on. You know, I would just walk up there. They can't tell you no. I mean, they can tell you no, but you're their legal guardian. And yeah. if they don't, that's when you get the police involved. Yeah. You know, because no one besides the parent needs to ride harder for them than the parent. Um, yeah. Because these places, it's just, they just want the money. They don't really care about your kid. They do not care. It's about your child is a paycheck. So if you really care about your kid, the only person who's going to really care about your kid while they're in there is you. You're the only yeah. person who's going to be checking up. There's nobody else. CPS, none of that stuff. I had CPS come in and out these places all the time. They would just leave us. And sometimes they would take us out the program, but we'd end up right back in there. You know, they didn't really ensure everything they should have ensured to make sure that we were safe. And the fact yeah, that these it, places get to be shut down and reopen up again into a new state, new name, or in the same state, new name, it just, it's just disgusting. I, I will say that any parent that gets a phone call from their child at one of these places and they're telling you they're being hurt and then all of a sudden the phone line disconnects. Take them seriously. Yeah. And then go, go immediately and go check on that child. Don't wait till the, don't wait a week later or nothing like that. If you can, if you can Call afford to go and to, demand you know, to speak to your child, yeah. like, I don't care if she got yeah. in trouble. I'm her mother. I'm his mother. If you don't put me on the phone and let me speak to my child again without cutting them off so I could finish what they were saying and telling me, I will be up there within the next flight with a police officer. Yeah. And see how quick they change their tune. And then record exactly. the phone call. Record these phone calls. That's what I would do. Because half the time on these websites, the pictures of the kids that you see in the brochures and on the pictures aren't even children that even attended the program. It's stolen pictures from a website. Stolen yeah. pictures. And forced smiles from kids in the programs. I remember smiling in photographs, but you could see the sadness in my eyes. You could see yeah. the rings underneath my eyes. Um there's a picture that was floating around on the Bethel girls site where these girls were crowded an around another girl. And I think Valerie used it in her TikTok and it sent me pictures to use in a TikTok. And I got to looking at it and you see these girls all smiling and throwing up like peace signs and stuff. And this one girl covering her ears, you could tell that she's in distress crying. It was like, yeah. they took that picture after they were messing with her because they have other children it's not just staff you have to worry about it's other kids in the programs too because it's kill or be killed in these places people they will force other kids to do things to other children it happens so it's not just the staff you have to watch out for i mean you might be thinking oh your kid is adhd and they can't sit still and they're not getting their homework done and they're starting to skip school and you want to nip it in the bud. And now you've done since your 12 year old with a bunch of 16 year olds who have a lot more, you know, baggage than your child. And they're learning. Like I learned all kinds of things when I was in the program, I learned about um, how to eat soap cotton balls and orange juice and swallow them. So that way my stomach would feel full instead of eating real food. I learned about that. I learned about drugs. I learned about sex in these programs. I learned about a lot of things that I had no business learning about from other girls. So, you know, it's really educating your, educating the child yourself, trying to find community base, you know, because your kid might come out, you know, worse or with worse knowledge and, and learn stuff. Like when I was leaving the program, they were like, Oh, Sabrina, you're going to become a drug addict. Well, I had no intention of ever doing drugs, but I did want to drink. I did want to drink because I would hear stories from the girls about how they got messed up and drunk and all this stuff. And so I started drinking alcohol when I was 19 years old. I didn't even wait till I was 21, 19. And then the first time that I, you know, was drinking, you know, something bad happened to me and I was raped and I put myself in a situation surrounded by other people because I didn't have the critical thinking skills to recognize that this was, I was putting myself 
in a dangerous position. They don't teach any critical thinking skills in these places. And they yeah. didn't even care about your education. We worked a lot more than we even went to school. We sang on the road in, in, in churches more than we went to school. I remember there was a time we were gone three weeks on the road for the Rebecca home for girls. And we didn't even do our schoolwork. They what were y'all doing? Just going to like churches and doing concerts different, and stuff like that? Different churches, yep, and singing. Yeah, they had us do like a tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can get more uh, love donations love from, uh, from the, more from love the people. more love donations and sucker and more look, churches into funding them. I really think like, you know, I, I want to be on the flip side of those people that were giving those donations and everything too, as far as I don't think any of them had any idea what was going on because of how deceptive these places are and, and, and how they pull on people's heartstrings and everything like that, because I'm pretty sure people donated out of, out of good intentions, mm-hmm. you know, There's for, to help people. That they need to watch for when you're, you got, you got one of these programs and these fake motherfucking pastors sitting there in the pulpit you know, talking about these places, like you can go look online at YouTube at Brother McNamara, Will McNamara, New Beginnings, the Girls Academy. When the girl sits there and talks and says, God wouldn't let me eat. God wouldn't let me sleep until I got saved. That was her. It wasn't God. That was Bill McNamara brainwashing her to believe that that was God. But it's really Bill McNamara doing those things, not letting her eat, sleep, shower, you know, do anything until she conformed. They're going to beat the Jesus into your child. Um, so yeah, that you're gonna you're gonna brainwash this kid, abuse this kid into submission. So when they come home, yeah, they're you're gonna get yes sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Um, yeah, I'm gonna do the dishes, I'm gonna make my bed. But slowly, that's gonna go. That's gonna fade. That's gonna go away. You know, because they're gonna be traumatized and scared. And after so long, that that's gonna fade. And, and then either they're one gonna go get back into trouble because they didn't learn anything. They're not teaching them. They're not getting to the root of the problem. Because nobody yeah. wakes up and says, I'm going to become a heroin addict today, or I'm going to smoke crack. Nobody does that. I mean, I smoke cannabis, and I do wake up in the morning, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to smoke this joint. But it's for a whole completely different reason. But yeah. there's been no research that says marijuana ruins lives. No, heroin, crack, all these things, um, all these drugs. Like, a lot of people self-medicate because they're trying to stop the pain of whatever is affecting them that they don't have the critical or coping critical thinking skills or coping mechanisms to deal with it. Yeah. They're trying to find, they're trying to find an an escape. They're trying to find that escape from, from reality on that. And then there were some kids who were like, yeah, I was doing drugs. My mom gave them to me. I was doing drugs with my mom and they got sent there by the courts, you know? Um, So then, you know, you have to look into, into that too, family dynamics. Like some of these parents, they were, just as bad as the kid and that's why the kid ended up like that like it all falls back to parenting and parenting techniques and and what you're doing um parenting wise um there there are ways i think a lot of us we're not really open with our kids the way that we should be um when my kids ask me about like my son he's 11 he asked me the other day he goes mom what's abstinence i was like oh boy here we go what's what's what what's abstinence he didn't know what the oh, word absence. Oh. And so I just told him in a child-friendly way. I said, son, that means that you're going to remain a virgin until you're married. And he goes, oh, that's my goal. I was like, okay, well, if you decide not to, um, come talk to me or dad, and we can um, discuss what you can do on how you can prevent getting STDs and, and pregnancy. He's like, yeah. Okay, mom, and went back to watching La La Crocodile. Do I think <laughs> that my 11-year-old is going to have sex? No, but one day he might. One day he, he might. And he needs to know that he's going to go to somebody yeah. safe with and that I information and that choice. Get that information from me than some high schooler on the back of the school bus because he he rides with the high schoolers, middle schoolers, and elementary kids. There's yeah. stories and things that he's told me. It's the conversation that's been on that bus. I'm like, oh, son, I don't want you listening to that. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's up to you as a parent to inform your child so they're not learning from another child or somebody else, or they should be able to feel comfortable with you. And the fact that yeah. they don't feel like they can talk to you obviously is what it's instead of you're there to educate children. I put it this way. Children make mistakes. Adults make decisions. Children are going to make mistakes. Sometimes they're not going to take your word for it, but then you're supposed to be there to, to pick up the pieces when they fall, because this is their teaching and learning moment. A child's brain is not fully developed as an adult until age 25. 
age 25, the human brain is not fully de developed. So how can you expect an 11 year old, 12 year old, six year old, 17 year old to make all these decisions in their life and be able to have good critical thinking skills if you're not giving it and teaching them it? Them it. Yeah. When I left these programs, I didn't know how to pay taxes. I didn't know how to balance a checkbook. I didn't know how to get my license. I didn't know how to fill out a job application. Um, Girl, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't know, know any of that either getting out of high school either. It's like the public school system things. fails and these right. places failed us. And, and parents are failing their kids. That, that's another yeah. thing. It comes back to parents. It is your job to make sure that your child knows how to change a tire, when to get their old change, um, how to apply for a job, um, how to balance a checkbook, how to pay their taxes, um, how to clean a house. You know, that's not, it's gender neutral. Like, you know what I mean? My son's been doing chores since, you know, he could walk. You know, yeah. he's not the best at it. He don't like it. He has some tusks, but he's been, it's not a new thing. I've instilled these things since they were really small children, you know? So that way when they're an adult, they know how to do these things. And they can say, well, no, you know, by Tommy, how to do that. And granted, there are going to be things that you don't know how to teach your child. And that's when the whole, it, it takes a community, it takes a village comes in, you know? I'll, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you something else too, on, on, on the point of, uh, of you having your kids come to you. If your child doesn't feel safe enough to come to you, guess what? They're going to go find somebody to be, to feel safe with. And yes. that opens up a lot of doors to different things. Now, sometimes it, you know, it's, it's, you could find somebody who actually has a genuine altruistic, you know, motive behind their heart and they're trying to help kids, you know, find their way in life and everything, whether that's in pick a category, pick a subject, you know, or, and then you might have people who are predatorial who will see that as an, their opening to start that grooming manipulation process with children as well. And it can go down a very bad road with a lot of trauma later on for them. So it's, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to that went through these traumas and everything, they didn't feel like they can go to their parents. They didn't feel safe enough to go to their parents because a lot of their agency and their choice and their, their trust to go to them. And the fact that they would be heard and listened to was not there. So you have to be there for your children to listen to them to, and, and be able to trust the fact that if they screw up, they need to know that if they do mess up and everything, that you're not there to just bash them over the head and everything, but that you're there to, you know, guide them to become better adults in life and everything, to become good men and women and, you know, or whatever they want to identify in between and, you know, to, to love who they want to love and to be who they want to be as well. Because at the end of the day, they're still your child. Yeah. I mean, you have, I mean, you have a whole community of, of kids who are, who like, let's just, you know, look, the, the gay community, right? How many of those people we've talked to that you you and I probably personally have talked to who didn't have parents who would understand them, right? Who didn't yes. have parents that would accept them or love them and who had to, you know, oh, I can't come out to my parents because, you know, grandpa or grandma is going to flip the fuck out or something like mm -hmm. that. Instead of having parents that are going to back them up and love them. When my daughter you came out, I done already told family, I don't want to hear nothing. That's your, that's your, you know, granddaughter, your niece, your cousin. You ain't gonna say nothing disrespectful about my baby because I don't yeah. care. Being gay is not gonna determine whether or not she's gonna be a good person or a bad person. Exactly. So and I, I know right I, now there's there's tensions and everything like that on social media with certain individuals and groups I've seen already and people wanting my response on it and everything like that. The way I look at it like this is look, you know, if these kids are coming to an individual because they are confused about whatever aspect they have in their life. That's scary enough because why aren't they going to their parents? Why don't they trust their parents enough? And parents need to have need to have a reflective look on, on inwardly and realize, well, what am I doing to cause my child to go seek some help outward, you know, outside yes, of, yes. of my own of, of me and my spouse or my partner or just them themselves as their single parent and going to somebody that they barely know. And they don't know whether or not it's going to be a safe environment or not. And I, you know, I don't know if, you know, what people's intentions are. And that's also a scary thought, too, because you really, truly don't know if they're there to help or if they're there to prey upon children, regardless of whatever the subject matter is. So, I mean, it, for any parent out there, you know, please, you know, love your children, be there for them, hold them, protect them, you know, support them, you know, let them know that that if something heinous happen, does happen to them, they can come to you and not be scared for the rest of their lives and have to go seek outwardly help. You know, or, or, or if they're just confused about things or if they're just curious about things, let them go let, let, be there to love them and, and know that they're, that they're still your child, like Sabrina says, because that is your baby at the end of the day. Sorry, I was on my soapbox. It's OK. <laughs> but I mean, it's just 
you know, so many, I've, I've talked to so many people who have just went down these paths in life because choices that they made that had bad outcomes because of the fact that there was nobody there to listen to them. There was nobody there that they could feel safe with. There was nobody there that would understand what they're going through or even try to try to understand what they're going through. I've yeah. had friends who've, who've lost their lives because they, you know, they were scared to be who they were because of the fact is they knew that they were going to be judged harshly and not have any support from their own family, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and other things too. I mean, it's just like, I mean, hell, I mean, I know friends who couldn't go to their own parents when they, when, when they got a girl pregnant and everything like that, you know, because they were scared of what their parent how, how their parents were going to react. I didn't know who, how to get obtain or get birth control. And so I had a baby at almost 19 years old because yeah. I didn't, you know, I, it was always taught to me abstinence, abstinence, abstinence. Yeah. I didn't choose that, but I could have chose birth control, but because I was so ashamed and didn't have knowledge of where to go or even how to get insurance. I didn't even have insurance, you know, medical yeah. insurance, you know, and I had no parents to teach me this. I was thrown out, you know, when I was adopt, my adopted mom passed away. My adopted dad had passed away. I had no family, no one to teach me these things. So I was left to either find these things out for myself or trust that the person I was getting the information from wasn't feeding me a bunch of bullshit. So, yeah. It just comes down to not having a good parental figure to give me the guidance that I needed at the time. What are you doing with your life now? If you want to tell people and everything besides your book coming out and everything, how, you know, like your healing journey from all this, like what can Um, you, what can you tell parents? uh, It's going pretty good. You know, I've been in therapy for about two years. I stopped wind up going to therapy. Um, But um, I've been doing kind of my own like things reading some books. I started reading The Body Keeps Score, and it's really good about explaining how the brain, mind, and body work together in the um, healing of trauma and where everything stems from. Um, You know, obviously doing podcasts. I'm starting my own podcast with Dan Edwards. Um, He's a survivor from the Bethel Boys. Um, It's called Parental Advisory, and we plan on having it up and going on Spotify this summer. And we're going to cover several different topics everywhere from um, it's more geared towards parents and talking about parenting techniques and different things that we can do to help our children. Also venting sessions, you know, for parents, because sometimes kids are assholes. They are. I mean, I know I was a little asshole. Um, I was too. And sometimes as a parent, you, you bottle all this stuff up. I mean, of course, you don't want to go around and tell your kid, yeah, you're an asshole. You know, you, you, you say that shit in the bed at night when your kid's asleep to your husband. Like, dude, Hunter was a little asshole today. Man, I had to tell him 16 times to take that fucking trash out. And he just kept playing the video games. You know, sometimes yeah. you need that. Um, so it's, uh, we're going to be doing that. Um, survivor stories. Um, talking about different resources that where you can send to your child. We're going to be talking about several different um, discussions on there. Well. So that'll be great. Um, I def I, and I definitely know some good people that I uh, will reach out to see if they'll go on your podcast and talk with y'all about different techniques as parents, because they've I've I've had one friend that's an author that uh, put a book out about gentle parenting, and uh, I'll see if he I'll see if he'd be willing to go. I got a guy that I know out here that wrote you know that wrote the Why Gary Why, uh, Jody you know Jody Ploche, he wrote a good book about how to protect your kids from you know predators and 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 grooming and, and how to see the signs of it. I mean, that's good information for any parent to have. So, I, I mean, I can't wait to hit, to see y'all launch this uh, podcast out and see you grow it, you know, and, and go above and beyond, you know, I mean, it just, that's how I feel about it. And I can't wait to see what the future holds, but, but I just want to say, you know, I see you survivor and I love you and I thank you for putting me in this world and for you to be on my podcast with me to help me co-hosting with me on the TTI stories and other stories, hopefully in the future. And just immensely. Thank you. I love you. And I just, I appreciate you. And thanks for all your help, you know, using your platform to um, uh, allow survivors to be able to share their story on here um, and everything that you do in the community to help keep kids safe. Um, I appreciate you too. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to end this interview off and everything. And uh, I appreciate you. I love you, Sabrina. You be safe. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.